If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Here ends the reading inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Every family has its stories, happy, sad, traumatic, courageous. We use these stories to help us with identity. The temper came from mom's side, the weak joints from dad's. There's the story about how on their first date, grandma told grandpa that they could go dancing on Saturday as long as they went to church on Sunday, or how Aunt Barbara went back to school, law school, after she had the third baby and graduated at the top of the class, how there wasn't alcohol at the wedding reception because it's too hard for Cousin Bill to resist. It's what country was the home country and what great-great-great fought in what war and on which side. Family stories are a recitation of the virtue and vice that run through our veins. And we want to know, mostly, who we come from. This is why genealogy is the second most popular hobby in the US after gardening. The first stories in the book of Genesis are family stories too. Stories that tell us about ourselves, about the people we came from. And this is one of the best known family stories in the Bible. The lectionary selection doesn't even cover it all. It comes immediately after the snake incident. You know what I'm talking about. Of course you do. This is the infamous part. 
It is a wonderful tale about a trickster snake, a woman who is curious, and a man who goes along, a tale which provides commentary about reality as the biblical writers perceived it. The story is etiology, an explanation of the reason why things were the way they were, and in many ways, why things are the way they are. Of course, we come to the Genesis text not with the idea that this is a wonderful tale, but with the understanding that this, this is how all was lost. Except that's not really true. Remember last week when I listed a few of those phrases that people attribute to the Bible but are in fact nowhere in the Bible? Add these words to that list. Fall, sin nature, and original sin. All of those are added later, much later. They are part of developed doctrine along with the virgin birth and the trinity. We can talk about that later. The developed doctrine of original sin says that because Adam and Eve, but mostly Eve, made the decision they did, we are all doomed. Our inheritance is evil and death, which we continue to pass down generation after generation. But there is no weighty accusation of original sin found in the text. It's important to know that because the story is too rich to be wasted on an interpretation that defines us only as broken, especially given the havoc such an interpretation has wreaked on women. The story is too deep to stop at an interpretation that condemns us. The story itself is not concerned with such things. It's a story of beginnings and endings. It's a story of curiosity and relationship, ambition and knowing more than we thought we wanted to know. It's a, a story of life-changing decisions and, and how sorry we can be once we see what we have done. It's also a story of survival. Adam and Eve did not die at the end of it. They kept going. And, and I want to know how. How did they convince themselves that everything would be okay? How did they survive the loss of paradise? Paradise. We have been trying to get back there for a very long time, paradise. Sandy white beaches, blue water, plenty of lounge chairs. That's paradise, where the temperature is never too hot, never too cold, always just right. And someone else prepares the meals, mows the lawn, and worries about getting the dry cleaning dropped off. Scratch that, there is no dry cleaning in paradise. We know, because the story says so, there isn't a stitch of clothes to be found until after the forbidden fruit is eaten. It seems that the best way the author of this story could think of to describe paradise was to say that it was the kind of place where you could walk around naked. Isn't that something? No golden streets, no mansions. The text is remarkably restrained in its description of paradise. Life, freedom, food, a place to call home, companionship. To walk around naked is the ultimate feeling of safety. And Eden was so safe, so safe, that its inhabitants 
treated it just like we treat an empty house. It was safe. It was safe as long as you stayed away from the fruit of one particular tree, anyway. But of course, Eve did not stay away. Instead, she and the serpent engage in the first theological debate. It's hard not to already hate the snake, but the snake is much like Prometheus of Greek mythology, who was said to have given fire to humankind, and it changed everything. Did God really say that you two were not to eat from any tree in the garden, the snake asked. Eve repeats the instruction that God gave earlier about not eating the fruit or they will die, although she omits the phrase on the day you eat of it when repeating the death sentence. She goes on to say that God said that they should not even touch the tree of knowledge. That also is not in the text. It may be that God and Eve had a separate unrecorded conversation, but that part really wasn't in the original instructions. So we find Eve interpreting her conversation with God, and by interpreting her conversation with God, Eve is doing theology, the first theologian. Dr. Will Gaffney observes that rabbis and Torah scholars have long asked how humanity is to keep the commandments of God, one approach is to build fences around the commandments or individual instructions, like the one Eve had suggested. To wit, one will not eat fruit from a tree that one does not touch. In this reading of the story, a woman offers the first rabbinic teaching in the newly created world. And this, of course, is because Eve is no dummy. She saw that the tree was good for food, and it was beautiful, and that the tree would make one wise. So she took a bite, and so did Adam. Then something happened, or rather, something did not happen. The woman and the man do not die on the day that they ate from the tree. Instead, their eyes were opened, as the snake had said, and they knew they were naked. Then Adam and Eve, the two of them together, sewed loincloths for themselves. Paradise was lost. Have, have you been there? You, you know what you are not supposed to do, but you do it anyway. The fruit looks too good, must taste good too, even though you aren't even hungry. You take and eat, and it is very good. But before you can wipe the sticky sweetness off your hands, things have already started to change. Your throat tightens and a heaviness settles. You want to run somewhere, anywhere, but there seems to be nowhere to hide. And there is no way to unring the bell. Although you can always blame someone else, Adam and Eve tried that. Upon realizing their nakedness, Adam and Eve hid but God went looking for them, as God does. And when God asks them what they have done, the blame starts flying. I mean, who wants to be responsible for paradise lost? So Adam blames Eve. Who blames the snake? When you lose your health, your family, your safety, it's better for someone else to be at fault. If someone else is at fault, then it is up to them to repair it while you wait. 
Or there's always blaming yourself. You can stop living, become small, play it safe, never stray too far from the sidewalk. Or maybe instead, you go into frantic mode, start demanding perfection from yourself and others, become puritanical in following the rules. Or blame God. Adam and Eve both tried that. If God hadn't made Eve, if God hadn't made the snake, if only. Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us that there are legends about what happened to Adam and Eve that never made it into the Bible, whole books about them that were not respectable enough to become holy scripture, but stories with the ring of truth to them nonetheless. According to one of them, God gave Adam and Eve a cave to live in just east of Eden, where they sat in shock for months after their eviction from paradise, reciting every detail they could remember to each other, the shade of the trees, the warmth of the sun, the beauty of the land. Eve offered to kill herself if God would let Adam back into the garden alone, but Adam would hear none of it although he tried to end his own life soon after by jumping off a cliff. When both of them failed to die, they wept and both together begged God to let them return to Eden. But God said, with enormous divine sadness, that it was not possible. Instead, God sent them angels to sing to them and sprinkle scented water on them to cool them. He reconciled the beasts of the earth to them, telling the animals to be gentle with them. But Adam and Eve could not be roused from their despair. For 83 days they languished, refusing all food and drink for fear they would sin again. God gave them a fountain of living water to drink, but took it back when they refused to drink from it. God sent them figs from the garden to eat big as watermelons, but they left them for the crows. Finally, the legend goes, when their bodies were strained from exposure and they were speechless with heat and cold, Adam and Eve let God teach them how to sew, using thorns for needles and sheepskins to make shirts for themselves. It was a big step. Having lost paradise, having run out of bushes and alibis to hide behind, having all but killed themselves through guilt and exposure, Adam and Eve decided to let God clothe them Fear not, an angel sang to them that night. The God who created you will strengthen you. And so God did. Although the snake continued to plague them all their days, Adam and Eve decided to live. The days of peace and plenty were gone for good, but they got by. Using all the scraps at hand, they managed to build first an altar and then a home to bake bread from the wild wheat of the field and to bear five children. Using the pieces of their broken past, they made a future for themselves and for their descendants in the world outside of Eden, a world we live in. It is a world full of chips and dents and scars. Even where we have glued it back together, you can still see the cracks, but in its own way, it is lovely a mosaic of many colors, a mended work of art, a testament to the God who works with broken pieces and who calls us to do the same. 
That is our story, a story with everything human in it, promise, failure, blame, guilt, forgiveness, healing, hope, a story about us and a story about God who did not create us just once, but goes on creating us forever, helping us put our pieces back together so that we are never ruined, never entirely, and never for good. So there it is. We are survivors. Did you need to hear that today? We, we are survivors, hardy, fragile, people who make a way when there is no way, desperate, curious, regretful, loving sinners and saints. We will find a way forward. For the Bible tells us so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.